Struggling to keep track of your story and world? Archivos is for you! More intuitive than a wiki, more extensible than Scrivener, Archivos builds your story bible into your personal, always-on tactical display. Graphical relationship charting, continuity tools, this thing has it all, with bonus options for fan engagement and real-time collaboration. Archivos. Story world management done right www.archivos.digital. That's www.archivos.digital. Welcome to the Everyday Novelist. My name is J. Daniel Sawyer, and I am your guide in this raucous journey of coping with the creative life. Fueled by your questions, we explore the trials and travails of productivity, discipline, art, and finances in the writing life. Welcome to the Questions, episode 1085. Before we get started today, I have to beg you guys for questions. Because of the long absence, the questions are really thin on the ground. I've only got a couple more episodes worth before I'll have to go dark again whether I want to or not. So uh, please send things in so that we can get back to a, get back to a nice rate of tick over here. Today we hear from Nicole, who asks... I'm trying to rework my main character introduction in my first-person story. The feedback I got was that they didn't know the character's gender, so I added I character name, but it feels clunky. Where have you seen a good intro of the character in first-person? Any advice on this? The first line of I, Claudius by Robert Graves is I, Claudius Drusus Nero Germanicus, this, that, and the other have endeavored to write this strange story of my life. So you can get away with that kind of thing. God, there's thousands of ways to do this. You can have the character pick up something that's typical of their gender, um, or something that's exclusive to their gender. If it's a woman, you can have her grab tampons. There's no real analog to that for a dude, um, except maybe like shaving cream, and uh, or you can, you can introduce a dude shaving his face. You can do stuff like that. You can do a lot with voice. Mm-hmm. This uh, voice is really hard because we all speak in our native voice, and so getting into another character voice can be very difficult. But men and women, even in the same culture, subculture, have various tells in how they speak that tip the reader off that they're more likely to be one than the other. You can do it by fashion cues. You can do it by the character dynamics between this character and the other ones in the room. It should, fe- if, if you've got a female character who's surrounded by women, the interpersonal dynamics should not feel like they do if you have a female character that's surrounded by men or talking to men. doesn't matter how professional the situation is, how desexualized it is, the conversational priorities and the relational dynamics will be different. And the same works in reverse. If the, care, if the person who gave you the feedback doesn't know the gender, one of three things is going on. Either they aren't a very careful reader and they're not picking up what you're laying down, or if the character is a woman and it's not clear to your reader that your character is a woman, then you're writing your men to sound like women, and because they're men, and you're not doing it, you're not doing your writing in a highly gendered kind of way. Everybody's coming off kind of samey samey, or um, or you're dealing with head defaults, where um, even if your characters are a bit differentiated, 
your beta reader has strong head defaults, where the police officer is obviously a man because most men are police officers, where the nurse is obviously a woman because most women are nurses. Everybody... Don't you mean most police officers are men and most nurses are women? Yes, I'm sorry. I think I need coffee. Um, I just poured you some, dear. Oh, that's what that is. I, I thought there was a, just a big, like, cat butt warming thing on my table. The cat was sitting on my coffee mug. But uh, the stock characters in our heads will influence the way a character reads unless there are other cues that direct a reader to go one way or another. The other thing is that uh, the way your character speaks, the concerns that are top of mind, you can really see this when a character looks at another character. Men and women have different eye movement patterns when they see another person and they have different intent behind the look. Unconscious intent, I mean, not like conscious intent. If you're writing cross-genders, it's really, really easy to mess that up because, of course, you don't have access to the other perspective except secondhand. One of the classic tells, for example, of a man who's been written by a woman is that the male character doesn't check out the women around him. And that's just not the case. Even if a, even if a man has absolutely no attraction to a woman and is uh, professional and not leering or whatnot, he always notices her boobs, her hair, her eyes, and her body. It's just automatic. It's down in the lizard brain. We can't turn it off. Part of growing up is learning to say, yes, that's there, but I can live life like a person in a society with gender parity anyway. I can treat women as humans and I can treat men as humans instead of only treating men as bros and only treating women as conquest material. But that, uh, that looking is still there, whereas women... When they, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Kitty. Women, when they look at a man, don't necessarily check him out that way first. They do threat assessment first. This is a big guy. He looks a little unhinged, or he looks very well turned out. But there's there's this there's a there's an interpretive layer that's that's going on between the actual looking and the whatever potential sexual interest is there or isn't there. Whereas with men. The interpretive layer comes after the looking and the sexual assessment because those two things happen at the same time in our brains. That's just the way we're put together. I, I think that would be accurate in, in certain contexts, or rather, in certain contexts, we might skip that assessment layer or put it a bit further down because there is a assumed safety in that particular context. But... There's little reflexive things like that, that that cue the reader as to what's going on, that your reader, that either you haven't put in there or that your reader is not picking up on because your reader uh, doesn't have first-hand access to that way of thinking. I hope that I've had something useful here. I feel like I've been a bit scattered. Um, we've got animals running all over the place. You can hear the guinea hens going nuts in the yard. The dogs have been fighting here in the office. And the cats are trying to take over my desk again. One the, cat the... has taken over Dan's desk, and the other cat keeps trying to jump into my lap and sit directly under my microphone. You know, the, the building the artist retreat was my idea. The farm was your idea. This is your fault. <laughs> should start charging you rent for all the times your critters sit on my desk. I'll pay you in coffee. Or poop in my forge. God. I am looking forward to Thanksgiving because those three turkeys are going away. 
They've decided they live on my welding table and my anvil, and I have to clean turkey shit off everything all the time. Ugh. Anyway, life on the homestead's going well. <laughs> I, I, I will say free-range chickens and free-range guineas are kind of a delight. Free-range turkeys, oh my god. They don't work because they're big, and they get on everything. Yeah, and unfortunately, well, the bears and the eagles will take care of annoying chickens. They won't touch the turkeys. The turkeys are too big and scary and mean. Mm-hmm. The only thing around here that can pick up a turkey in its mouth is the dog, who will pick them up and bring, pick up this 13-pound turkey, waddle it over to Kitty and go, throw this for me. <laughs> and the turkey's sitting there going like, what the hell did I do to you? What did I do to you? And it looks at Kitty. Mama Duck, please help me. Save me from this evil monster that doesn't even know how to eat me right. <laughs> God, that sounded dirty. I think I, need... <laughs> I think I need to go out and get a little bit of sun before I record the next episode. But yes, please send in more questions because we are out. And uh, there's only going to be a couple more episodes after this one until we get more. It was, uh, I hope, <laughs> if I... <laughs> If we weren't useful on this one, Nicole, please send in a follow-up so that we can get you a good answer to your question. And thank you for sending it in in the first place. We'll see you tomorrow. The Everyday Novelist is written and presented by J. Daniel Sawyer and Kitty Nakian, and is produced by Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. The text is copyright 2023 J. Daniel Sawyer, and the production is copyright 2023 Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, and all other rights are reserved to the author. Join the conversation. Submit a question, leave a comment, or a creative death threat. Or find me at jdsawyeronminds.com or hit me at feedback at jdsawyer.net. We can't do it without you.